Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. If you want to open your Bible to Luke chapter 19, we are finishing off a series today called The Art of Neighboring. Has everyone met their neighbors this last month? Uh, One of the things that we've been talking about is this greatest commandment from Jesus where he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then to love your neighbor as yourself. We've been kind of unpacking, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And if this is what Jesus calls us to do, if this is the greatest commandment, do I put this into practice on my own street uh, with the the people that live in my community? So we've been looking at some of these different passages of what does it mean, who is my neighbor, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And I want to end today with this passage in Luke 19. So if you'll just turn turn there, we'll start in verse 1. Let me read it for us. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once, at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Story of uh, Zacchaeus might be familiar with you if you grew up in church. It's a very, uh, it's a great Sunday school story, right? Zacchaeus, there's a song, he was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And it's interesting as we, as we read this story or as we hear it now as adults, uh, to interpret it as adults. Uh, so it's, a, it's a story we're told very early. Even if you're outside the church, you may have heard this story before. It's told by Luke. Luke, this is the Gospel of Luke. Starting next week, we're starting a a series where we're going to go through the Gospel of Luke for eight weeks. So I figured we'd end this series kind of segueing with a story from Luke. What we'll find from Luke is that uh, Luke's a master storyteller. Uh, He's a doctor, he's well-educated, and uh, we think that he, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and then he wrote the sequel, which is Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, But what we're going to find is that as he tells stories, he paints this beautiful picture. He adds all sorts of color to some of the details in these stories. And this is a story about a man named Zacchaeus. And the story takes place, it tells us, in the town of Jericho. Jericho, we know a little bit about it from the Old Testament. 
This is the, the town that was taken with the people of Israel as they come out of Egypt. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. The walls come tumbling down. Uh, well, Jericho's been rebuilt by the time of Jesus. Jericho is, it's not just been rebuilt, it's flourishing. It's become an extremely wealthy city. The geographic location, it's, uh, it's on this main highway on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, there's, uh, it's in Jordan Valley. There's a, there's a river that goes through there that it, it commands the crossing. Uh, there's, a, there, there's a forest of palms, uh, and uh, it, it's, it's just very, very fertile land around uh, Jericho. And uh, it became, it became a, a place of trade. It became this wealthy, wealthy part of the region. And the Romans had control of it. And since it was good for the economy, uh, this was a place of high taxation because a lot of deals are getting made in this region. So Jericho becomes this place of great wealth. It's also uh, a place where many of the priests who worked in Jerusalem lived. It was kind of this, they would commute in. This is like a suburb, right? They would, they would live here and they commute into the city, into Jerusalem, uh, to do their duty. And, and we, we talked about this in the story of the Good Samaritan uh, a few weeks ago, how uh, the man was, was mugged on the way between Jericho and Jerusalem. This is, uh, this is how close Jericho is to Jerusalem. It's a very, very wealthy city. And then we have this man named Zacchaeus who's like, right time, right place, finds himself in Jericho, and he's a tax collector, which means that he's, he's got it good. He's making a lot of money. And as we, we look at Zacchaeus' name, it's interesting. He has, he has a Jewish name. Uh, his name is Hebrew. It's Zacchaeus. And this is important because as a tax collector, uh, he's, he's basically employed by the Roman government. So the... the, the the people of Israel, they've been conquered by the Romans, and then you have this guy named Zacchaeus that's working for the enemy, and he's getting wealthy off of it. It's also interesting that the, his name in Hebrew, Zacchaeus' name means pure, or purity. And so like when, when Luke starts to tell the story about a tax collector whose name is pure, it's like there's this irony going on. Like the, it's almost like the, 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 the first line is like the punchline. This is tax collector, and his name was pure, right? And Luke starts to tell the story about this, this man with a Hebrew name who's pure, but he's corrupt. And not only is he a tax collector, it says he's the chief tax collector. So all the other tax collectors report to this guy. And uh, if you can imagine just what this does socially, uh, it, him in community in this town, uh, to be, to be making money off of his fellow men in a corrupt way. And you have to imagine uh, what, what this would be like to see this man uh, gain wealth uh, unjustly off of your hard-earned wages. Uh, another thing that's interesting in the detail of the story as Luke tells it is it tells us that Zacchaeus was a short man, right? That he's short in stature and he can't see over the crowd. And in my mind, you know, I, I remember like the flannel graphs of the story when I was in uh, Sunday school, and as I got older, I, I just kind of like pictured Zacchaeus as like Danny DeVito, like <laughs> climbing up in a tree, and for some reason he's wearing like a bathrobe and smoking a cigar, right? And it's like Danny DeVito, it's Zacchaeus. Um, but it's interesting because if, if you look kind of at the, the language, what, what's going on here is it says short, but uh, the scholars tell us that it could also short could also mean young. That Zacchaeus was was young. 
And what's interesting is if you interpret it that way, Zacchaeus is young and yet he's wealthy. And his age doesn't necessarily match up to his style of living, his lifestyle. Because people as young as this guy, they don't make a living the way that he does. And if, if that's true, if one of the, the assumptions tells us that he's, he's young, he's too short for his stature. You can imagine what this would do to, to other people in the community, especially the men. Right? This is like a millennial. Like, what, this guy's entitled. Like, what, what, is he, what does he, like, get to make all this money off of us and not work? Like, can you imagine also, like, you, not only is this, this man making money off of you, uh, and he's making it unjustly, and he's got the muscle of the Roman legions in the area, but he's like 20 years younger than you. Think of that possibility. And what's interesting is you, when you think of it as that, that it, it's maybe he's, he's short in stature, maybe it's a physical thing, or maybe it's, it's an age thing. He wants to see Jesus, but the crowd's in the way. There's this obstacle. So he climbs up the sycamore tree. And it's interesting is if, if he's just... If he's just short, he's got money to bribe the crowd to get a viewing with Jesus. Yet there's something about him that knows that he can't bribe this crowd. He knows better to get into this crowd, so he avoids it. The crowd becomes an obstacle, and instead of bribing it, he just decides to climb a tree to get away from dealing with those awkward conversations. He wants to see Jesus. Climbs up a tree to avoid the crowd. There's uh, one of the uh, commentators that I read, his name's Joel Green. And he talks about this detail of the story and he says this, which I think is interesting. He says, thus, it is not simply Zacchaeus cannot see over the crowd. Rather, the crowd itself is present as an obstacle to him. On account of their negative assessment, of Zacchaeus, the people refused him the privilege of seeing Jesus as he passed by. Whether short or young, then Zacchaeus is presented as a person of diminutive status in Jericho, rendering him a member of the unenviable association. Zacchaeus is despised by his fellow men. He's despised in this community. He knows not to go in the crowd. He wants to see Jesus, but he knows that's an obstacle he can't get through. It's also interesting as you, you read this story, it's not just isolated in the Gospel of Luke. This is part of this bigger narrative where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is towards the end of Jesus' life. And he's, as he's on his way in, in chapter 18, he has encounter after encounter with these people of low social status. And if you read chapter 18, uh, what you'll find is that he, he runs into this widow, and he has this, there's this encounter with this widow. Uh, he runs into other tax collectors that seem to be everywhere. Um, uh, and, and then he, he runs into children, and, and children don't have like any social standing in this culture. Um, continually, continues to, to run into person after person of low social status. And then he runs into Zacchaeus. And when he has this encounter with Zacchaeus, by the time he has this statement at the end, in verse 10, that's so powerful, there's this progression of him running into a blind beggar, a widow, children, other tax collectors. And Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
It's almost the climax of this journey that Jesus has been on as he heads towards Jerusalem and he heads towards the cross. All of these people who've been pretty much kind of rejected or set aside, Jesus is having these encounters with them that are transformative. It all comes to a head here with Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This message of Jesus is for all people. This message of Jesus uh, is for those uh, despised by our culture, those rejected. The power of Jesus uh, can reach any person. I think this is important because as we consider Zacchaeus, it's a, it's a story that resonates with us as children. Because as children, you know, the, it's a very vivid picture of what's going on here with Jesus and Zacchaeus. The children can relate because, you know, they're, they're short. They feel left out. It's hard for them to see over a crowd. And it's always told as something that resonates with children. But as adults, it should resonate too. Because all of us carry around baggage. All of us carry on certain aspects of brokenness. Certain things that we're ashamed of. And what I find with adults is that, for the most part, people want to see Jesus. We're captivated by the Son of God. Like, we're not really sure what our thoughts are on our of church what it means to be Christian. But we want to see Jesus. But maybe like Zacchaeus, it's, it's awkward to approach him. Maybe like Zacchaeus, uh, we know that there's all sorts of other things that come with Jesus, like going to church and being in a crowd of people, a crowd of people that might have different thoughts about me. For adults, it might be awkward to think this late in my life, I, I'm still trying to figure out what this, who this Jesus person is. And, you know, it's, I, it's not that I'm ashamed of it, but it's awkward to say, you know, I, I want to have this encounter with him. So it's easier to kind of climb up a tree and, and observe it from afar. Maybe we know uh, our reputation, our identity, some things that we've done in our past. We don't know how Jesus is going to react to it, so we kind of want to catch a glimpse of him, but actually have an encounter with him. Uh, that's intimidating. I think as adults, we resonate with Zacchaeus as well. But Luke does something interesting here with a little wordplay. It says that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. And then Jesus approaches Zacchaeus. And we find... Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus only to find that Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. Can't imagine what that would have felt like for Zacchaeus to be put on the spot like that. That Jesus shows up and he approaches Zacchaeus. He says, come down. Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. And it's true of us. Jesus seeks all of us. Seeks this relationship with us, loves us offers us his grace and his mercy. Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. 
they have this encounter. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree. It says that the crowd murmurs and they mutter. They don't understand it. They're not sure what's going on here, why Jesus would approach one of such questionable character, one who's pure but corrupt. And they mutter. What I found is that uh, the encounter Jesus has with Zacchaeus isn't because Zacchaeus deserves it. Zacchaeus has done nothing to deserve uh, the salvation that comes. And yet mercy and grace are offered, not because we deserve it, but because uh, of what, who God is and what God has done. And it's offered to Zacchaeus. What I found is a, as a church planner, we're in this context where we're inviting people to fall in love with Jesus in a brand new context. Um, this message of Jesus is for all of us and it's for all of you. Sometimes church plants will uh, bring in people who uh, may not feel comfortable in a normal church setting uh, so they're new. The rest of you are probably just crazy that you would join a church plant, right? Um, but as a church, when we consider loving our neighbors, when we consider this message of Jesus that's for all people, um, we pursue all of the brokenness in our community. and say, so we want to connect with you. We want to hear your story. We want you to meet this Jesus Sometimes it's hard to understand. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As we approach our neighbors, loving our neighbors, it should change how we approach. Another thing is that, that's interesting is that Jesus initiates hospitality in this story. Jesus is the one who initiates the hospitality. So sometimes I, I think like as a, as a follower of Jesus, trying to get to know people, you know, if they're going to open up their life to me, great. If they invite me in, wonderful. I'd love to meet with them. But here we have Jesus pursuing and initiating the conversation. He doesn't sit back. He doesn't wait. He doesn't just say, God, if you want me to talk to this person, have them initiate it with me. We have Jesus initiating the conversation. He says in verse 5, I must stay at your house today. But then by verse 9, it says, today's salvation has come to this house. There's salvation that's found in the presence of Jesus. Je Jesus stands knocking at the door of our hearts, pursuing all of us. Joel Green goes on to say, in seeking hospitality with one spurned uh, as, socio -religious, as a socio-religious outcast, Jesus is f simply fulfilling the divine will, his will to come to seek and save the lost. And he initiates the conversation. And this is the thing. Jesus approaches you and me, and he invites us into this new reality here and now. Jesus approaches you today and invites you into this new reality, a reality of salvation. The world might define you in all sorts of different ways, as corrupt, as a tax collector, as a sinner. Jesus looks at you, and just like Zacchaeus says, you're a child of Abraham. You're made in the image of God. Jesus initiates the hospitality. Then we find for Zacchaeus, the salvation has come to his house. There's salvation in the presence of God. What we find is a change in behavior. 
Zacchaeus, this man who's made money by unjustly taxing his people, this man who's corrupt, what we find is that all of a sudden he starts to change his business practices. There's visible, uh, tangible change in his life as he experiences salvation. It says that he starts to give away these, this money that he's unjustly given to the poor. And that those that he has taken advantage of, he pays back four times the amount that he's taken from them. Salvation always has to do with reconciliation and redemption. And here we find Zacchaeus reconciled to his community. So it transforms his life. It's interesting when influential and corrupt people have a transformational encounter with Jesus. The whole community benefits from it. As we consider loving our neighbors, as we consider those around us, those that, uh, that Jesus loves, we're called to initiate this conversation. No one's off limits. God's love is for all people. We initiate the conversation we trust that in the presence of Jesus comes transformation, salvation, redemption. In Luke 5, there's another story. This calling of Levi, chapter 5, 27, says this. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. Again, Jesus is initiating. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. It's an interesting detail. Jesus has this encounter with another tax collector, Levi. Levi throws a party, throws a banquet, invites him over. And it says that all these other tax collectors show up. All these other people that have the same reputation as Levi. The Pharisees and the teachers who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. Again, in this story, we have Jesus initiating a conversation with a tax collector. And what's interesting here is that as Levi has this transformative experience, he throws a party, and guess who shows up? All the people that Levi's connected with, his network of people, and they're all just as corrupt as Levi. And now Jesus has access to all of them, has this ability to, to meet and to be in community with them and to talk to them. And something else happens when we take the initiative, when we love our neighbor, even those of questionable character. We enter into their circle of friends. We enter into uh, their network. As a church plant that is considering loving our neighbors, that is, as a church plant that is committed to sharing the gospel, As we initiate conversations with people, it opens us up to new circles. That should change how we love our neighbors. So we leave uh, this series on loving our neighbors. There's been a couple of different homework assignments that we've given, a couple of different things to put into practice. We've used this analogy uh, 
Uh, we've used, uh, it's an acronym of LIGHT. We've talked about how if we want to love our neighbors, we have to learn their names. LIGHT starts with the letter L. We've talked about inviting our neighbors to hang out, some sort of connection, whether it's into our home or to coffee or to dinner or to the park. We talked about giving, that we would give something to our neighbors. Uh, we watched that video last week of the family that made pies. Uh, we shared how uh, Nathan and Jody made goodies for their neighborhood. Uh, how to initiate conversation through giving something. Well, the homework this week when it comes to uh, initiating conversation is to hear and to tell. To hear people's story. To hear them out and to tell them about Jesus. When it comes to loving our neighbors, we learn, we invite, we give, we hear, and we tell. So to close this series, I want to ask us three questions before we move to communion. The first is as we consider the story of Zacchaeus, this man who's completely corrupt, but Jesus has time for. Who in your life is God calling you to right now? Who in your life is God calling you to? When it comes to loving your neighbors, God has a tendency to put people on our heart, people uh, who are hurting, people who are lonely, people who are broken. With a heightened sense of awareness, who is God calling you to? What is he calling you to do with that person? And how is he guiding your actions? As we consider loving our neighbors, let's reflect on those three questions. Tim's going to come back up, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of an extended time of, of worship and response. And uh, each week we close our time with communion. Communion for us is a sacred act of remembrance. It's a sacred act of remembering what God has done in this world through Jesus. This Jesus that we just read about, uh, this God incarnate, takes on flesh and blood. And he has these interactions with people who are corrupt tax collectors. And he looks through the barrier of how they've been defined by society and he says, I love you. I offer you salvation. As a church, we believe that Jesus offers us salvation as he goes to the cross. That this physical body, this God incarnate, was broken open on the cross and his blood was poured out. These elements that we take at the table represent the body of Jesus broken, the blood poured out. As Jesus offers this salvation to us, we're invited to step into this new reality. We're invited to trust that the love of God has made a way for us to experience eternal life. We identify with Zacchaeus because we know that we're all corrupt. We know there's certain things about us that we're ashamed of. But we give them to Jesus. And we trust this new reality. That he offers us eternal life. So today we invite you to the table to come and to receive this initiation from Jesus. And maybe it's something that you've, uh, you've done a long time ago. You're a follower of Jesus. <coughs> You would identify with the crowd in this story. And maybe today as you head to communion, the reflection is, uh, what do I need to do to not create obstacles for people like Zacchaeus? 
to see Jesus? Who is it that I need to see? How do I need to connect with them? So let's spend some time in prayer. I'm going to be ready to move to communion, and let's spend some time worshiping God. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. That you would love us so much, Lord, that while we were corrupt, while we are unjust, you see us and you say, you want to come to our house today. We thank you for salvation, that it starts here and now. All the things that we have in our life that isolate us from the world around us, all the things that we have that isolate us from you, you pursue us. You break those chains. Lord, as we consider the story of Zacchaeus and what it means for our life, how we find ourselves in this story, Lord, as we consider this whole series of loving our neighbor, Lord, this isn't just something that we want to talk about. This is something that you call us to. This mission of, of your love and redemption and salvation, you invite us into this story. So Lord, stir in our hearts an urgency to love our neighbors. Stir in our hearts a courage to pursue people the way that you pursued, to initiate conversations, and to trust in your salvation. So Lord, we turn to you now. Stir our hearts. Reveal to us what you want us to do. In your sons, let me pray. Amen.